Father in heaven, we come in Jesus' name. And we come with hope and expectation that as we have assembled as the people of God, who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that we as your children come to worship and to learn and to grow in a closer relationship with you. We desire this most of all. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would graciously allow your living word to find root and to bear fruit in our lives today and in the days and weeks ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure some of you, if not all of you, have read or have heard famous quotes. What makes a famous quote? Well, I'll give you three M's. A famous quote is usually meaningful. Secondly, it's memorable. And third, at certain times, it's momentous. And in November of 1789, Benjamin Franklin gave one of his last great quotes before he died. It was written about the Constitution of the United States, that it had been ratified just a year ago, and that a new government had begun under it. He said this, Our new Constitution is now established. Everything seems it will be durable, but in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. All of us have heard that ending phrase. Many of us have not known the context in which it was said. Indeed, everyone has heard the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. And yet, this may be true in regard to our focus on this world and this life, but it is not true to all of life, particularly the Christian's life. For in this particular letter, John makes it very clear in this last section that believers have five assured certainties about their life. The first one is given in verse 13. He said, These things I have written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. In this single verse here of this letter, actually John gives us the whole purpose of the entire letter. It is so that we may know that we have eternal life. But in the contents of this letter, he also gives us, if you will, a guide so that we can examine and we can evaluate whether or not a person is truly born of God. 
John explains here what it really means to be a Christian. And it's in contrast to what a person is not in regard to Christianity. He supplies us in this letter three comprehensive tests that actually reveal to us what true faith in God is. Over against, if you will, those other types of false ideals that were being foisted upon the believers at that time and those beliefs that are being foisted falsely upon us today. The three tests sort of shape up in three distinct ways. There is the moral test, there is the social test, and there is the doctrinal test. And each of these tests uh, provide an appraisal, if you will, of what genuine faith in Jesus Christ is as the incarnate Son of God. Of what His redemption on the cross has accomplished for sinners. And who it is who has put their faith and trust in Him. He, Jesus, is the Word of life manifested. John says we have seen Him. We have observed Him. We handled Him. Both He and the disciples that were following Jesus during His earthly ministry. As Jesus was actually establishing Himself as Messiah, as Savior. He is the source of eternal life. So that selected sinners, saved by God's grace through faith in Him, gain true fellowship with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And since... This fellowship, this true fellowship with God requires certain things from those who are in Christ. That they are to live in the light of God's truth. That Christians cannot live in the darkness of sin. Because if they try to, they are living the lie. It doesn't discount the fact that we sin. In fact, if a believer sins, he has the ability, as John says, to confess his sins to God and receive God's forgiveness and be cleansed and be restored so that we can once again walk in the light as he is in the light, obeying his commandments and, and yet ever, ever aware that we have an advocate with our Father in heaven, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Because He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Believers who have this gift of eternal life keep a new commandment, which is true in Jesus and now in us. And that new commandment is this, that we love one another as God has loved us. As we abide in the truth of God's Word. And in so doing, we overcome the evil one and all of his devilish schemes of darkness in this fallen world. 
And it's in this fallen world that we are commanded that we should not love it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world and is destined to perish. Believers must recognize that as we live in this world, that there are antichrists in this world. And many of them have gone out from among us. But John tells us they weren't really of us. So how are we to discern these antichrists? Well, God has given to us not only his word, but he's given us the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we can know the truth about God's Son and we can live in that truth by faith so that we are not deceived by antichrists as we abide in the Son and in the promise that he gives to us of eternal life as we practice uprightness as he is righteous. We, as God's children, must always live assured of the hope of Christ's return. And we do this by seeking to purify ourselves just as He is pure. Despite the the growing lawlessness that is evident in our world, we must not be deceived into or tempted into practicing sin, but practicing righteousness, which will clearly distinguish us from the unredeemed children that are still under the devil's sway. Knowing full well in faith that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And one way this is evident is that we love. We love one another. We share in this community of faith as the body of Christ. We love God. We love each other. We care for each other. We forgive each other. We aid each other by God's grace and in accordance with His truth. You see, God's love has been rooted in our hearts. But we must not see God's love being rooted in our hearts as something that causes us to be naive. On the contrary, we have been endowed with the wisdom of God's indwelling Spirit so that we are able to test the spirits, to see what they say, and what they do with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. By that same Spirit, God enables us to be overcomers of the false spirits that are in the world. Why? Because greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And truly, those who truly know God listen to us.
You see, we are born of God. We are born of God. Due to God first loving us and sending His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And because God first loved us, we are called to love one another. We're not to hate one another because God is love. And as we abide in God's love without fear, because fear involves punishment, we're not under the punishment of God. We have been redeemed. We will indeed love God and love our brethren and live together as overcomers of this world as we trust in the three witnesses that John talks about there of the Spirit and the water and the blood which testifies that indeed Jesus is the Son of God and that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. We do, based on all of these truths that John has outlined in this letter, we do have certainty of knowing that we have eternal life. But it moves on from there. Because in verses 14 and 15, John tells us that we have a certainty that our God hears and answers our prayers according to His will. Isn't it wonderful to know that as believers in Christ, we can come before a throne of grace to our Heavenly Father and know that He hears us as we pray in His will. John says here in verses 14, this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, he says in verse 15, we know that we have the requests that have come from him. John said earlier there in 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, that we are to ask and we will receive because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Indeed, God answers the prayers of His people when they seek His will. Why? Because we as believers in Christ do approach God's throne of grace. And as the writer of the Hebrew tells us, it, we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And therefore, we can hold fast our confession because we don't have a high priest who does not know the feelings of our infirmities, one who cannot um, 
understand our weaknesses, but one who has been in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we can draw near to God with confidence to a throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus said it to his disciples back there in John 14 where he says this, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You see, this is John's major point of the certainty that God will answer our prayers according to his will. And this is the type of praying that comes with the understanding that we want what God wants, not what we want. This week, I was talking to Irina Yagelnicki, and she divulged to me in our conversation that the Ukrainian Christians were gathering together there in the Ukraine for a day, a national day of prayer. Why were they praying? Well, if you don't know, you must have your head in the sand. There are a great mass of Russian troops on their borders on all sides. But what were these Christian, Ukrainian Christians praying for? That was what was on my mind. Was it on their minds as Christians to say, God, get them. Remove them from our borders. I don't think so. Were they praying for the de-escalation of, of the exchange of words that was going on from country to country or from the international environment? Well, they may have been doing that. But I'll tell you what they were praying for. They were praying for God's will to be done on earth, in their land, as it is in heaven. I'll tell you something else that they were praying for. They were praying for God's love to love their enemies and to do good, not evil, toward them. Jesus said there in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, he quotes the Old Testament verse, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But they had added something, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Jesus said, no, love your enemies. Do good for those who despitefully use you and abuse you. Such a prayer is modeled for us there in Psalm 27 that we've read this morning. 
We read in this psalm of David, David's faith dependency in the Lord for his salvation and to answer his prayer for what? For help in the midst of enemies. It's so clear. He says, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord, you are the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Then he goes on in that psalm and he says, Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. But he asked the Lord, O oh Lord, when I cry with my voice, hear me. Be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O oh Lord, I shall seek. And at the end of this psalm, we read this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. It goes along with what Jesus said when his disciples were asking him about prayer there during the Sermon on the Mount. He says in chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. For those who ask, receive. Those who seek, shall find. Those who knock, the door will be open to them. The third certainty is found in verse 18. It's the certainty of the believer's victory over sin and over Satan. Notice what he says here in verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Believers in Christ have his victory over sin, over death, over hell, and over Satan. We are, as believers in Christ, on the victor's side. As John brings out in chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see, even Satan himself must submit to our sovereign God when it comes to God's redeemed children. You see, God keeps his own, and the evil one cannot touch them. The fourth certainty is this, verse 19. We can be certain that we are always in Christ God's cherished possession. 
We are His beloved. He loves us with an everlasting love. John says it this way, we know that we are of God and the world lies in the power of the evil one. Yes, there is spiritual division apparent within this world. You either belong to God or, and been born of God or you are under the domain of the evil one. You're still enslaved in your sin. You are living in a corrupt world system even as John made it so clear there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He says this, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. As Jesus said, In John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And because we are not of this world, We should be making every effort to avoid being contaminated by the corruption that is in this world. As James told us there in his practical letter, James 1, verse 21, he says, This is true religion, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And notice the second part and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The final certainty, the fifth one, is this. We have the certainty that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He is our eternal life. Just as He says here in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true and in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Do you want to know the true God and to be able to throw off the false gods, the idols that are in this world that are always being paraded around us, then you must be certain that by true saving faith, you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The one Savior of sinners. The only source of eternal life. For this is the true God and eternal life. As Jesus said there in John 6 and verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. This is eternal life. 
that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have life, eternal life, in his name. Therefore, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Amen.